0: Continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah. And depending on the uh, week and the lesson, depends here on uh, what we're going to be doing. And last time we met, last Wednesday, was actually excellent Wednesday. So we stopped for a second and took a break from studying Jeremiah and did a topical on the death of Jesus on the cross. But the week before that, we did uh, four chapters kinda kind of all flowed together here tonight. It's one chapter, Jeremiah twenty six, because there's a lot of good stuff in here that we need to bring out. Now as always with our study here through the book of Jeremiah, we try to find the key verse that we're going to be talking about here in the chapter, and then we like to break it down from there. The key verse in Jeremiah twenty six, I think is found in verse two. Where it says, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. And all the words that I command you, speak to them. Do not diminish a word. And it's that phrase that really hit me. "Is do not diminish a word. One translation says, do not admit a word. Jeremiah was given a message. and He was given a message to tell the nation of Judah. And he was then told to be faithful in presenting that. Now, the message that he was given is a message that we've covered numerous times here throughout our study of the book of Jeremiah. Is that destruction was going to come. And that punishment and judgment was going to come. Now, I don't want to skip over that part, but we've covered that a lot. And you know what? Judgment was going to come. But as always, what do we say? In the midst of judgment, there's always grace. If you look here in Jeremiah 26, there's numerous verses where God says, if you change your ways, if you change your heart, that therefore it will be done, it will be ended. You won't have to go through this. Look at verse 13 says, now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. The Lord will relent concerning the doom that He has pronounced against you. If you only focus on judgment, God always comes across as the mean angry person that lives upstairs. And that's not who He is. He's saying in verse 13, if you amend your ways, you repent, you change, therefore the judgment won't come. Now we know what happened. Judah chose not to change their ways. Judgment came. Babylon came and defeated them. Now, I don't want to skip over the importance of that prophecy, but we've covered that prophecy a lot. What I want to talk about here is Jeremiah as a man standing up, speaking the truth, and not backing down. And as according to verse 2, do not diminish a word, do not omit a word. You know how tough it is to present a message sometimes when it's a message that people don't want to hear. I love love teaching verse by verse through the Bible. I just absolutely love it. I'm not against churches or pastors that do topical messages. If that's where they feel led to go, I want them to do that. I love the verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter teaching. In some ways I love it, but in some ways I hate it because you come across certain passages and chapters where you think, it'd be really easy to skip over this. This is not a fun thing to talk about in any way whatsoever. But you need to get the full context of God's word. Why do you need to get the full context? Verse 3. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evils of their doings. See, I trust this. I don't know what your day was. It may have been a horrible struggle for you to get here tonight. You may have come just for the free meal and you decided I probably should stick around so that way it looks better. I don't know. But you're here. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life. I can't know what's going on in every single person's life. So I just trust that when I pray over Jeremiah 26 and and I present Jeremiah 26 tonight that there's going to be something in the Word of God that's going to touch your hearts and that you're going to go home and say, that's what I needed to hear. Maybe it's one verse out of 50 verses we talk about. Maybe it's one line out of one worship song. Maybe it's one person during the fellowship time that says something that you needed to hear. I trust that the Spirit will speak through the people, through the Word, through the worship, through something that you'll walk out here tonight, hopefully with a deeper walk in Christ. I firmly believe that. And I believe the importance of teaching God's Word. I believe when it comes to looking at a church and looking at a ministry, the most important thing is do they stick to the Scriptures. And I don't mean do they just... Mention the Bible. I mean, do they really teach God's word? As, Or it says in verse 2, are they not diminishing a word? Are they not admitting a word? Now, I could just keep hitting that point again and again. And I told myself I wasn't going to do it. So I only picked three verses. And I'm only going to make you turn to one. So you can just listen to the other ones here. The importance of God's word. Look at your sheets there. Isaiah 8.20. Isaiah says, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. There has to be a foundation on God's word, the law, the testimony. There has to be. And that is a foundational teaching truth that we have that has to line up with scripture. Joshua 1.8 This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. This idea of God's wordy being in your life, not just a token Wednesday, not just a token Sunday, but a daily time of being in the Word, realizing this is what strengthens me, this is what takes me deeper in the Lord. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. For devotions right now, I'm doing a study through Psalm 119. And if you want some extra credit, I encourage you, go read and study out psalm 119 psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the bible and it's all about god's word and as you read through it you just walk away from that chapter seeing the importance of god's word in your life and in your christian walk now i told you i was going to save some time and i wasn't going to go overboard by only having three passages to have you look at second timothy three and four but did you catch second timothy three and four i'm going to have you look at all of chapter three and all of chapter four So I was honest but deceitful at the same time. So forgive me. It's important, though, in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. 2 Timothy is Paul's last book of the Bible that he wrote. It's his swan song, if you will. And as the Spirit is leading him, he's writing this, seeing that his end is coming. If you look in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, you see this idea of he knows the end is near. As he knows the end is near, he wants to warn all those that love him. I, I think about this. I can remember as a kid growing up, and if mom and dad were going someplace, it's almost this idea of them walking out the door saying, don't forget to lock the door, don't forget to shut the uh, oven off, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that. Just these last kind of comments. You know, any time we drop the boys off to be babysat, we always huddle them up, we have a word of prayer, and then I whisper in all of their ears, you better be good. I mean, it's that idea of just that final thing. So 2 Timothy 3 and 4, I believe firmly it's spirit-led, but it's Paul's final warning saying, Guys, look what's coming. Verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying its power, and from such people turn away. I tell you right now, go flip on the news, and you'll see verses 1 through 5 played out right in front of you. Go to any school, any job, any location, any place public where there's people. And you'll see verses 1 through 5 played out right in front of you. This is the time that we're living in. It's the end. Things are getting worse. So what are we supposed to do? Jump ahead to verse 14, if you will, please, of 2 Timothy 3. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing them from whom you have learned. And that from childhood you have known what? The holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I tell you right now, parents, if you have kids at home and I don't care how old they are, start putting scripture into their life. Put it on the fridge, put it on the doors, put it everywhere. Let people see scripture. If you do not have kids at home and it's just you or what have you, get in God's word. Get in God's word. Because what will it do? Verse 16. All scripture... Is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the result of being in the scripture is verse 17, that the man of God is complete, perfected, thoroughly equipped. I, I tell you this and I've mentioned it to you many times. I may read a devotional in the morning and I may get absolutely nothing out of it. And I sit there for 10 minutes thinking, why did I read this? What did I get out of it? Four o'clock, I get a phone call. Someone says, here's the situation I'm facing. And I say, you know what? I just read that this morning. May not have been for me, but it was for you that I read that. Or I may read it, and guess what? The day happens, I don't get the phone call. A couple days later, someone contacts me and says, here's this. Or a couple days later, a situation pops up where it's like, I just read that. I tell you, the ones that get me and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'll get up and maybe it'll be a Wednesday, it'll be a Sunday, or I'll have an appointment with somebody, and maybe I didn't have as much time in the morning that I wanted to to spend with the Lord, so I'll meet with that person and I'll teach Wednesday evening, or I'll teach Sunday morning. I'll go home and it'll be 11 o'clock at night, and I'll be like, you know, I'm going to read a little bit before I go to bed. I read, it's like I wish I would have read that at 7 a.m. rather than 11 p.m. I could have told that person that. I could have used that in the lesson and sounded really smart. I could have used that. I tell you right now, it, it always works and you're always blessed. Jump ahead to verse 2 of chapter 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I am not against churches. Having fellowship opportunities. I'm not against churches having outreaches. I'm not against churches doing things for the edifying of the body. Those are all important and we try to do all those things. But the primary emphasis of the church is verse 2. Preaching the word to help you become a stronger, better Christian. So therefore as you leave this building, you go out and impact the world. Why do you need to hear this? Because of verse 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I tell you right now, there's a lot of junk out there. There really is. And I'm not saying that everybody on the radio or everybody on the TV is off. I don't mean that in any way. There's a lot of junk out there when it comes to teaching. And people like it because it's exactly what they want to hear. I caught Christian cotton candy. It tastes good. It's good, it's fun, but as you walk away from it, there's no growth. Why don't we want to grow? It takes work to grow. It takes effort. That's why all those infomercials promises you you can have a body like that with no effort. That's what we want. I'm telling you right now, if you want to be a solid, stable Christian, be a good, godly father, husband, a good, godly mother, wife, it's going to take a lot of effort. It really is. Because when you invest into that, you will be blessed and things will come out of it. If you want the easy road of Christianity, there is no easy road of Christianity. It's being solid in the word, being spirit-led, being obedient to the scriptures, and not allowing sin to get into your life. This is all an introduction to what Jeremiah is going to say here. Because he did not, as verse 2 says in Jeremiah 26, he did not omit a word, he did not diminish a word, he stuck to the word. And as he stuck to the word, there was consequences to that. So that is our 15-minute introduction. We'll get to the rest of the message here. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments, about anything we've covered here thus far before we get into Jeremiah's actual message? Okay. Now, Jeremiah's actual message is something we've already talked about before. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Unless you change... Judgment is coming. If you look at your sheets here, the next section is speaking the truth. What happens when you speak the truth, be it at home, be it at school, be it at work, wherever it is? The first thing you see is Jeremiah 26, verse 8. Now, it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. If you speak the truth, you're going to be threatened. That's just a fact. You will lose relationships at work, you will lose relationships with your kids, with your grandkids, with friends and family, people that you thought you were close to. When you speak the truth to them, those relationships will suffer because people don't like to hear the truth. They just don't. And what happens is, instead of taking a stand on what we know is right, we compromise what's right for the benefit of still having a relationship with somebody. Jeremiah is an example of saying, I'm willing to speak the truth, and I don't care what the consequences are. Now, please do note, this is not speaking the truth like some mean, horrible, nasty person. The Bible says you speak the truth in love. Now, be spirit-led, say it in love, but realize, when you go up to someone and say, the Bible makes it clear... That, that action, that that lifestyle, that that choice you're making is not a good godly choice, they generally aren't going to like it. The next thing, verse 9, Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When you speak the truth, you're going to feel alone. You may be the only Christian on your shift at work. You may be the only Christian in your school. You may be the only Christian in your household. Part of speaking the truth is there's going to be a feeling of being alone. That no one gets it, no one understands. Why don't we speak the truth? First point is we don't want to lose relationships with people. Number two, well, I don't want to be alone. i got to work with these people 8, 9, 10, 11 hours a day. I don't want to build burn these bridges. i got to live with this person. So if I go out speaking the truth, I'm going to destroy that relationship. No, no, no. This is my kid. Why would I say that? If I say this, I'm never going to see him again. If the Lord is leading you, you speak the truth in love and realize part of speaking the truth is there is a feeling of alone. Because you are standing on truth and the world that we live in does not want to stand on truth. We just read that in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. The world doesn't want truth. But we have a different different moral standard. What also happens when we speak the truth? Verse 11, And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people saying, This man deserves to die. For he has prophesied against the city, as you have heard with your ears. When you speak the truth, you will be misunderstood. Jeremiah is not speaking against the city. He's speaking truth, saying the city will be judged. I don't know how many times that when you speak the truth, you have been misunderstood. Where you go up to someone and you can say it correctly and properly. I love you. I care about you. I care about you deeply enough to say that this action and your lifestyle is wrong and it will hurt you and I want what's best for you. I can say it totally in love. You know what they hear? You're a sinner, you're a heathen, and get away from me. You'll be misunderstood. And I don't know how many times out here as a pastor I've had people come up and say, well I heard what you say to so-and-so. Well what would you say? What do you think I said? Well I heard that you told them they were just horribly wrong and they're just awful and evil. No, that's what I thought. I didn't say it. What I said was, what they're doing is not good and proper. And God loves them and I love them. See, that's the problem, is you will be misunderstood. Your words will be twisted. Your words of truth will be taken as lies. That's exactly what Satan does. So, when you speak the truth, you will be threatened. You will be left alone. You will be misunderstood. This is why a lot of Christians say it's just not worth it. But are you trying to be a man pleaser or a God pleaser? Are you trying to take a stand on something that's eternal, truth? Or are you trying to keep some little fake relationship on this earth? It's truth that we make a stand for. So what does Jeremiah do in verse 15? But you know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city, and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. See, when you speak the truth, you're speaking in confidence. I like that. It's not that I have the most horrible, difficult position in the world, but sometimes with what I do out here, I'm put into positions where I have to have conversations with people. To be quite honest, I don't want to have that conversation with them. I don't. But I can go to them confidently and say, I love you enough and care for you enough to say that action will cause harm in your life. It's not fun, but I can do it because it's the truth. Jeremiah in verse 15, he can confidently say, God told me to say this. Look at the passage we put there, Hebrews 13, 6. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear, because what can mere people do to me? See, when you're on the side of the truth and you know you're speaking the truth, you can say with confidence that that is right and that is wrong. Too often in this world we live in, people are like questioning, well, what's right? What's wrong? How can you know what's right or wrong? Well, the Bible tells me what's right or wrong. I have confidence to know that the Scripture says that's wrong, so it's wrong. I have confidence to know that the Scripture says that's right. That's right. I seek the Lord. And so, therefore, I have confidence to take a stand on what's right. So, you see here with Jeremiah. He spoke the truth. He felt threatened. It was alone. He was misunderstood, but he stood with confidence. He stood strong. That's an example for us today. Be it at home, be it at work, be it at school. as to stay strong in the truth. Now, before we get to our final points here, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about speaking the truth and the consequences sometimes that comes out of that? All right. What happens now with the outcome of speaking the truth is they go debate now what they should do with Jeremiah. Should we kill Jeremiah? Should we keep Jeremiah or not? So what happens is the elders of Israel, as they're having this conversation with Jeremiah, they bring up two different people. The first person they bring up in verse 18 They say Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them, but we are doing great evil against ourselves. First point Micah. This is Micah from the prophet Micah in the Bible. He was a contemporary here of Hezekiah. He preached the truth. Hezekiah listened. Hezekiah repented. Amen. So what is one outcome of speaking the truth? Revival. They listen. The person you're speaking to listens and says, You're right. That's not good. I want to stop that because I love the Lord and I want to do what's right. Or the person says, you're right. That area could be a place of damage or weakness to me. And I don't want that, so I want what the Lord says. Amen. Now, I wish that happened more often than not, but it can't happen. And Micah is an example of speaking the truth to the king of Judah, the king of Judah responding, and there was revival. So that's one outcome of speaking the truth. Number two, what's the next outcome that can happen? Well, verse 20. Well, there was also a man who prophesied the name of the Lord, Uriah, or depending on some of your translations, Uriah, the son of Shimei, of Kircheth, who prophesied against the city and against the land, according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim, the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard the words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim, king sent men to Egypt... Elioth, the son of Achbor, and the other men who went with them to Egypt, and they brought Urijah from Egypt and brought him Jehoiakim, the king who killed him with the sword, cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Okay, well that's not really quite revival. That's kind of the opposite of revival. That's death. That's also one outcome of speaking the truth, as it doesn't go good. Now, I hate to say it, that's the one we're probably a little bit more used to. So and so won't talk to me anymore. Why? Well, I told them what they were doing. didn't line up with the Bible. There was a death in that relationship. Or I went up to them very lovingly. I don't know how many times people have said this. It's like, Pastor, I prayed over it. I felt led by the Spirit. I know my words were said in love and in gentleness and truth. I did everything right and they still got angry. Probably because they were convicted. Probably because they didn't want to hear it. So just because they respond in anger doesn't mean what you did was wrong. (laughs) This message that Uriah did was the proper message. See, now here's the thing about Uriah. He had a great message. But the follow-through went wrong. See, we have to pick on him for one second. Look at verse 21. And when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, stop, he was afraid and fled. See, that's, that's the hard part. See, too often as Christians, we put our foot down, we speak the truth, but when we face some opposition, we buckle. We just completely falter under pressure because we didn't expect them to get that angry. We didn't expect them to get that upset. We didn't expect to be ignored. And so instead of standing strong in the truth, what do we do? We do, verse 21, we get afraid and we flee. See, Jeremiah stayed strong in opposition. There's really three examples here. Micah, that's the one we all want. You speak the truth, they hear it, revival, amen, all your co-workers get saved, all your friends and family get saved, and everybody's happy. That's Micah. Jeremiah is, you speak the truth, no one likes it, and they throw you in the pit, they throw you in the dungeon, they throw you in the stocks, and they want to kill you. Uriah, you speak the truth, but when everybody gets upset, you back down, you compromise, you get afraid, and you run. See, one of those three things are probably going to happen. To be quite honest, as Christians, we probably do the Uriah route route more often than we should. The Micah one we wish would happen more often. The truth be told, Jeremiah is probably what happens the most. The world just doesn't want to hear it. That doesn't mean we quit speaking the truth. We have a responsibility to the truth. And with that responsibility comes consequences. Sometimes those consequences are good, amen. Sometimes those consequences, to be quite honest are pretty rough and we as believers and we as Christians need to stop and say Lord, help me to be strong I'm willing to bet all of you here tonight there probably is a situation right now where you're like okay, I know what I'm supposed to say I know what I'm supposed to do I know that I'm supposed to put my foot down on this but I'm afraid to no, don't ever be afraid to speak truth James says this in James 5, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. One of the most righteous, holy things you can do is warn somebody of what the consequences of their actions will be. And as they turn from that, God says, you have a special place in that person's heart because you were instrumental in pointing them towards truth. It's not easy, sometimes it's not fun, sometimes there's consequences, but we have a spiritual biblical responsibility to stand for what's right in a world that's searching for truth. And boy, God help us to be more like Jeremiah. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything we covered here tonight, or any of the passages, the truth, taking a stand for that before we close up with a word of prayer? All righty, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, we just pray that we would take a stand for the truth. Lord, I just think of what your word says. Your word is truth. Jesus is truth. The Spirit is truth. Lord, help us not to compromise. Help us not to back down from what we know is right. And Lord, when we're given an opportunity to speak the truth, help us to speak the truth in love. Not in hatred, not in anger, not in hellfire, but in love, Lord, to truly be an example for you. And if there's a situation you've called us to take a stand on, help us to take that stand. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.